Hi, welcome to the Sage's Cabin podcast. I'm your host, Rox Madeira. So grab a cup of tea and come and join me in the Sage's Cabin as we chat about everything from herbal gardening, herbal medicine, movement practices, wild food, postnatal and just general well-being. So I'm now an ambassador for the Herb Society and so this podcast is being brought to you in association with them. So I'm just giving you a little bit of information about who they are. The Herb Society was set up in 1927 with Hilda Lale, or by Hilda Lale, um, and she uh, set it up with the um, aim of supporting herbal practice in Britain. Um, She also, in the same year, 1927, opened her first shop, the Culpepper shop in Baker Street in London, selling herbal medicines, food and cosmetics. And then in 1931, she edited and published Maud Greaves' famous book, The Modern Herbal. So the Herb Society's aims today are to increase the understanding and use of herbs for health and well-being, provide information, knowledge and news on all aspects of herbs, bring together all those with an interest in herbs from the amateur to the professional and provide a worldwide forum the exchange of ideas and information. So the reason we've kind of I've kind of joined forces with them is just because this is also kind of my aims is to just make this podcast a bit more educational and bring um, more knowledge from the herbs out to the general public. Um, you can become a member of the Herb Society. It's really quite cheap to join. Um, you get a magazine and stuff, and it's just herbsociety.org.uk. Uh, well, a lot of the people I talk to are also um, authors, uh, and they are usually published by Aeon Books um, and it's just a really small publishing uh, house in based in the UK and they sell like alternative and complementary medicine books about so they do a lot of herbal books and things um, and so I really like the books that they publish which is why I tend to talk to a lot of their authors and stuff. So it's been a while since I've put out a podcast um, and it's because I was away having a baby um, but this podcast I actually recorded just before I had a baby um, last year so it's been a whole year I can't believe that um, and it is with Amaya and from the Wild Apothecary and she produ- uh, released a book for, with Aeon Books um, and it's a really nice book it's a really lovely book so I would really um, encourage you to go and have a look at it and go and get a copy if you can the interview is great she said told us a lot of information she was really really lovely and um, my child was kind of like very distracting in the interview and she was great just kind of carrying on and chatting and passing on loads of really nice herbal knowledge so I really hope that you enjoy the podcast as always if you enjoy the podcast please like and share it um, and tell everybody about it and feel free to buy me a coffee um, to donate towards all the work that goes involved that is involved in producing and making the podcasts and bringing the herbal education out to everybody nice to have you on the podcast Amaya thank you um I think it's okay if we start just by you talking about yourself and just what you do and everything yeah yeah herbalist and I have um, my own apothecary called the wild apothecary and I mostly see patients but I also teach and um, write and draw plants and um, what else do I do I grow things I have a community medicine garden and various little schemes around the area and um, what more do I do look after my kids I have two kids 
and um yeah mostly my life is taken up with herbal medicine though so and some grief tending and um, I'm getting into counseling as well just to go a bit further in that kind of area of work okay great uh, yeah I got a copy of your book oh, did, you, did you illustrate it I did yeah yeah it's really pretty and a lot of people I've shown it to have said had the same response they've I really oh. love this like picture at the front it's really like witchy and <laughs> it really like you yeah. know speaks to the kind of the magic and of the herbalism well sometimes that that bit of herbalism is missed a bit you know um especially in the kind of more medical herbalism realm and um I just wanted that you know to evoke something those kinds of feelings that we all I think I really think we all have but maybe press because of modern life and you know yeah I totally agree I think because I think because we're, we're trying so hard, herbalists are trying so hard to fit in with the kind of medical model almost and be recognised and stuff that all the kind of <laughs> yeah, the stuff gets <laughs> forgotten about. So yeah. It's kind of bypassed. But I think in some ways, or for me anyway, it's part of the thing that kind of attracted me to it in the first place. Yeah. Oh, and that's a thing, you know, we should be able to have our children. My dog just came in and made some kind of growly noises <laughs> you know be able to work with our, you know with our families with our community with people supporting us and it rarely happens because everything is so isolated you know I'm in my apothecary pretty much alone or if I'm working in the clinic I'm in my room very compartmentalized <laughs> it's probably not how it used to be in the past either where everybody's probably living together a lot more and women yeah. having more groups together and things helping each other yeah absolutely that support is, is massively important and that feeling of um having the support I don't know anyone who really really feels supported you know like enough <laughs> sorry I got shouting person. you're really into shouting today it's because as soon as, as soon as I'm talking to anybody, he wants to get attention. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I wondered actually what was the inspiration behind behind writing the book? Well, I mean, I'd always thought about writing something and I was trying to think what would be really handy and... Um, I kind of thought a, a guide which had that like you could just look into and you could see for babies, you know, some really common ailments and for maybe your granny or your sister or, you know, but you could go to a different section. And whilst it's not perfect, you know, I, I appreciate that, that there's still gender, genderism, you know, and all kinds of things that we could open up and refine and get better at. I just wanted it to be kind of something you could refer to, but also that could be um, sort of viewable by anybody. So a child could pick it up and look at it. Someone who doesn't know anything about herbal medicine could pick it up and look at it. Um, and also, if you are a herbalist, you could still pick it up and look at it because it will be that, you know, enough of a level of um, information and ideas to um, be relevant to you. And then also the kind of I wasn't when I'm reading herbals, sometimes I do get a really good sense of the kind of wilding side of it. And sometimes I don't. I thought I definitely want to include that in this book. And then I brought Claudia in to give a really strong sense of the decolonization that has to work um we all need to do in our herbal medicine practice um and she knows you know vast amounts about decolonizing everything but including herbal medicine so that and then it all kind of slowly came together um and um you know Eon published it 
and then I illustrated it you know it was really a kind of a, a long process but hopefully one that's kind of turned out pretty good yeah I think so I mean it looks good I, I like could you actually, I know you didn't write the bit about decolonizing herbalism but do you think you could talk a little bit about it yeah well I think the main thing is to recognize that we've got work to do um it's really you know when you're a herbalist anyway you're fighting to be heard in the medical model so sometimes it's kind of easy to get stuck in that like I'm doing enough but actually where are we getting our herbs from where are we where are we sourcing things who are we taking from what knowledge are we sharing that wasn't ours to begin with which isn't in itself a problem but it is if the people we're taking it from aren't getting anything or are losing something um including um you know uh you, you know, you can call it culturally appropriated, but it's it's a disrespect to those people wherever they are. You know, whether they're indigenous here or in um, a much more, um, let's say, um, less westernised place, so much more much closer to the land. And we'll take what we like, and then we'll use it, and we'll benefit, especially financially. You know, we can make a really good living off a lot of that information, um, whilst other people are struggling. So I think those things bringing them into our everyday is really important but it's really hard you know and I, there hasn't been a massive response to it within the herbalist community that I can sort of tangibly feel because I think it's scary I think people are struggling anyway and uh, don't want to lose what we already have um, and maybe there's a misconception about what it really is to start decolonizing and I think one of it is maybe the first thing is to communicate and to really listen to different voices and to allow and encourage different diverse voices to be heard. Yeah, I think that um, like the whole issue about where the herbs are coming from is something that I think a lot of people haven't really thought about. Mm. You kind of just you just kind of think that herbal medicine is all like you know it's all ethical and great and everything, but you know I guess there's you know we don't know where like what, what how the farmers being treated and the growers and the pickers and everybody yeah. else. Yeah. And even if we look, I mean, in Claude's bit, there's a bit about, I think it's ginger and the route ginger has taken to get here included the deaths of so many people. And, you know, anything along the silk route, you know, um, um, coming from less privileged places in terms of Western culture, but not in terms of spirituality or richness of culture. But um, though the, what they what those herbs have been through so they've come along a road where there may have been cultural genocide even there may have been slavery they may have been you know so many aspects to getting that plant over here colonization you know um just it's just it's it's, it's really mind-bending to think about it all and think gosh that's just ginger which i put in my tea i buy from my shop i don't really think about it um and whilst you know i don't think we're anyone saying stop using ginger but i think we need to recognize respect think about how we can give back and that kind of thing um another thing that you really like you talk a lot about is or, or you mentioned anyway is the um radical herbalism i think mm -hmm. you're quite involved in that aspect That's claude is much more she's she's she considers herself a radical herbalist um and actually when she describes it i'm like shouldn't that be what a, a herbalist is you know so it, it it shows you how far one way we've gone but again, it's, um, it's coming back to the roots of herbalism and uh, community herbalism, being aware of community, how we can serve. And often I read, like, I would really like to serve you. Um, my yoga classes are my way of serving you. They're 500 quid or, you know, something that's kind of like, oh, 
that doesn't sound like, you know, it, it, because we're all trapped in this capitalist model. So whilst money is important, people have, you know, bills to pay, children to look after, all that. I think it's the awareness of how we get back to um, herbalism, sharing our knowledge. Um, if we want to, that's in dominant culture. I think in marginalised culture, not not sharing is okay too because you want to preserve and protect. Um, and then um, the radical side of it as well is, um, you know, helping others who can provide maybe time if you've got money or if you've got time and not money and seeing what you can give and then maybe working with uh, less, less, um, less abled financial terms people or people who want to get involved in a community project and grow teach those skills you know that kind of thing um teach how to combine herbs what goes with each other how you make a tea you know really simple things that can be change people's lives which is you know another thing which is so simple to get a few remedies out to people to make themselves you know to grow themselves that kind of a thing and even with a window box you can grow stuff you know or even if you live in a flat with no window box you can have a few pots and to encourage everyone, you know, even if it's a small amount or to set up more community gardens where people can come down, learn some skills, take a, take a bit of the bounty at the end of the year, that kind of thing. So you're supporting. Yeah, I think that's, I think it's good because sometimes I find we look a lot kind of external um, like to other countries and how we can fix things over there and we don't necessarily yeah look at our community and and the people around about us yes. I think that's quite just as important yeah and especially if you're in a city or somewhere where there's um you know lots of different people there'll be so much knowledge there that is just kind of being lost and, and maybe that's okay for some for some aspects but if we can get people together and share things and learn from each other you know all the better um yeah and I think we can all do something we can all give a bit of time to a community garden or a growing scheme or like maybe not even your own community garden you might join another one but share your skills or do some medicine walks occasionally or hold some groups there's always something you know there's something we can do yep yeah I agree um so so other things that I see in your book are this kind of uh, the rewilding exercises that you have which is mm. nice which is now looking more towards the earth and reconnecting yeah. and with that yeah. so maybe you could talk a little bit around about yeah. them well I I um I just found when I started practicing you know I mean gosh when we were learning we were told to wear white coats which never resonated with me and then I was thinking when I first started my own apothecary 15 15 years ago I thought I'm I'm not gonna have a white coat in there um that it just makes me feel even more disconnected from the earth of plants than I already am and living in modern society, we are quite disconnected. You know, I'm sitting here on a screen talking to you and it's like, oh, wow, how, how do we even get to this place? But um, so all everybody's like in this modern paradigm here. And if we can get back to the earth, you know, it doesn't mean roll back in time, but it means like connect, allow ourselves to connect. So for some people, it's actually really hard to know what to do. And actually, it's a quite a scary place being outside because there are dangers, you know, especially for women, especially for women of colour, people of colour, children, elderly people. There's like various sort of unsafe spaces. However, if we can find that safe space and know what we can do. So even just dirt time, which is this lovely phrase that um, Claude told me about this woman I mentioned in the book, 
calls it, but basically getting your hands in the dirt. And we all know, you know, it's been scientifically proven now, we all know that the microbes in the soil are so beneficial to our health and even things like depression and things like that. So getting dirty is really important. But as it's connecting with our trees, our rocks, our, the sky, fire, water, you know, all of these things and starting just to learn a little bit about how they make us feel, what we could learn from them, how we could contemplate or write or, you know, whatever floats your boat, really. You know, like I like just being because I'm quite melancholic, but somebody else might be really like, I don't want to sit here. They might need to write something or see how many shapes they can find or collect and gather rose hips you know to make garlands just but but as long as they're connecting I think that's the most important point um and you can do it from a tiny tiny child to an elder elder you know um if you're not able to walk there are other ways to connect as well even with sky or water or even in your home you know by getting a bowl of water in a rock or something like that there are all these ways to connect that I think is really important in our fast lives that are kind of you know consumer and capitalist led yeah, I mean, because they say even just looking at a picture of nature can have all these benefits without even having to go outside in nature if you can't get out. Calming. And the colour green as well. That's the calming colour. And then you go out into a spring canopy in a forest, you're like, wow, that's really calming. But just having being surrounded by a plant, you know, a plant on your shelf or your windowsill or something, and just listening to that plant, just little tiny things can really make a difference. And there's kind of, there's a big... Um, uh, not a resurgence but like a big what's the word movement with the whole forest bathing thing and everybody's kind of started to mm -hmm. look into that as well aren't they yeah so yeah. kind of a, another way to connect yeah and I think we we do understand that because people go dog walking precisely for that but it's like you need a dog to, to do it <laughs> like can't we just go and bathe you know I think it's just um in fact the Japanese have some amazing words in their language like I think there's a word for the illness you get when the seasons change, they recognise it. There's also um, a thing they do where when they're out in the field working, if a, if a strong wind blows or an elemental kind of change happens, they honour it there and then. You know, and these things are still alive in their culture and I think we've kind of lost that a bit. I'm sure it's somewhere within our psyche, but it's just tapping into it without going, God, I've got to get to the printers or I've got to pick my kids yeah. up or you know, whatever it is. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it is in there in the psyche because I think there's a lot of people that are drawn to it. And I think since we've had the lockdown, a lot more people have been drawn to it and getting outside and they're sort of hearing the whispers a bit more because they're not so busy maybe or or maybe yeah, they've just got a bit more time that. or something. Yeah, and I think it's about that. Our society is kind of um, choleric, sanguine, um, kind of that's that's the successful mode. If you do or if you think kind of in a, in a really good way, you're kind of, um, praise with success if you if you're more a feeling person or a being person less so so I think just um you know disregarding that and, and learning to step into your own power whether you're quiet loud you do you don't do it doesn't matter as long as you can connect yeah so so sort of going on from that point really that um lots of old ancient cultures have energetics within them for for um, people for elements seasons you know all that it's all tied in you know including our own in these lands and when we're working with herbal medicine we can use those um that knowledge and that way of understanding as a tool to help us 
one, choose herbs, two, understand the person or people or even society. Um, you know, Claude uses astrology. I don't, I'm not so au fait with that yet. You know, it's something I want to get into, but, you know, we all just choose our paths. And um, I think understanding about choleric, phlegmatic, sanguine, melancholic, um, the constitutions and how people present is really useful. Um, and it's, it's really interesting too, you know, because as soon as I learn, you know, about someone, I'm like, oh, you're quite choleric. Therefore, I'm probably never going to give you this herb, which is super hot and might, you know, just be too hot for you. Um, there's also herbs, which I'm like, okay, so this herb is quite cold and wet. So I'm not going to give that to a phlegmatic person because um, they are boggy tissue. They're already wet and moist. They don't need that. They need some astringing or some warming or some movement, something like that. But they are phlegmatic. So maybe that all what they're talking about is because they're quite emotional and they're holding a lot of emotion right now and that's somehow not finding a release. So it's building up like a dam. You know, maybe they'll be thinking in those ways. So I think energetics are so useful and important and something that you can slowly craft and cultivate as you get to know plants and get to know either patients or friends and family. Um, and I, I find it really interesting to think about what's... Um, you know, as I was saying, the sanguine and the choleric sort of uh, temperaments are the dominant ones in a successful Western society. And it's really interesting to think, why is that? It's because um, of, you know, a variety of things, but it's very patriarchal. The more being, so, you know, just being, just be, people just be, they're allowed to just be um, or feel, you know, look, so many times as a child, lots of people are called oversensitive or crybaby or, you know, all these negative things are associated with feeling. Um, so I think reclaiming that and kind of owning it is, um, is a real step towards a more healthy way of living and understanding yourself. And then um, the, the terms that you use in the energetics, the, tang the sanguine and the choleric, they like the kind of traditional way that we would have used herbalism in this, in this country. Well, I think Nicholas Culpepper used those kinds of words. And before that, I don't really know. I haven't looked back so far, but I know that we basically say it's from Galenic medicine, but that's basically them from Hippocrates. And who was Hippocrates taught by? An Egyptian. So God knows how far it actually goes back. But it certainly has been around in this land. Um, um, I, it would be interesting to see further back what we use how we did it but no doubt it will be connected with elemental you know fire earth water and air whether it was that language or, or different language and so does that go because like because i come from like a pan of persian background and we oh, have we talk oh really <laughs> Jessica, um they talk about like you know hot foods and cold foods so do they have the same sort of thing here i mean I think it would be less hot because what hot herbs would have gr grown here other than more pungent things like mustard and things like that. Um, but yeah, I would have thought so. I'm not an expert on that. That's something that is not my forte, but um, I, I imagine so. I just, I, never, I just never hear people talking about it over here, but then, you know, if I phone my no, grand, she's always like, oh, yeah. you have this hot thing and you can't have that cold thing. Yeah, I mean, we do, you get that a little bit like, oh, you shouldn't have that cold water, you should have a warm drink, or you shouldn't have a hot drink. You should. And that's about as far as it goes, because we have a, a more bland palate, like, yeah. in these. But what we have lost here is, like, you know, in Scotland, when they had loads of oats, they would leave them out and they would ferment, and then they would be healthy. Now we just have oats, chops, 
package sent out. They're not, they don't have that fermentation process. So we've lost that aspect of our you know, healthy gut bacteria via food, things like that. And we have such a refined palate now, you know, so everything's got sugar in, everything's got additives. It's kind of crazy. Everything is fast, you know, slow cooking is like a fad, like a thing, because even though that's just normal cooking. Um, yes, yeah, I mean, my, my, my dad's from India, but his ancestry is from Persia. But of course, there's hot and cold, there's um, aromatic, there's pungent, there's really, you know, really hot, which, you know, would knock our socks off over here. But a lot more um, care is taken in what's going into food in, in other lands than it is here. Yeah, because they kind of do the energy balancing as well, don't they, with like need all the different elements of the food within a meal. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, it's not really I something that I know a lot about, but it's something that I, I find really interesting. Yeah, yeah. even if you go to an Indian shop where there's um, loads of spices, it's, it's so different to a supermarket where you kind of just left to choose your own, you know. They will help and they'll know what they're talking about. And sometimes when I go to India, I'll go into the shop, they're like, no, that's not for you. And I'm like, oh. Why, why not? You know, but they'll they'll just know this sort of a greater cultural knowledge of what what people need from yeah. diet and plants. Yeah, I think. I mean, hopefully, it's something we can kind of regain here again. <laughs> I think we do, but it's it's via the medical paradigm, which is difficult because mm. it always means you go back to the gold standard, which doesn't mean much really um, for some things. You know, you can have a gold standard test that really flawed. Um, I know that sometimes when I go places, people say, well, I do know that rosemary is scientifically pro proven to aid memory. Therefore, that one we can trust. But the rest of it's, you know, maybe a load of rubbish. It's really difficult to kind of say, actually, look, this is this is how the whole world works. You know, we all yeah. use plants. We've just, in these lands, we've refined them and refined them to standardise extract. And now look at all the side effects as well. Um, yeah, but I think it'd be brilliant if that kind of thing came back in, you know. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, so a, a big section of your book is all about like the plant allies and things and about the different uh, stages for children, youth, women, uh, men and elders and stuff. So I wondered if you could maybe kind of obviously not go through every plant, but like just pick one for maybe one for each um, stage. OK, sure. Might, or, or two or whatever. But <laughs> Well, just talk about the plant. I just talk about the plant and like just why, like say for example, why would you, why could you use that for a child, for example? I have to check who I've included. Do you know, I had such a hard time choosing which ones, but where, because I'm like, but it could be this one or this one or this one. So, um, well, let's start with children. And I'm sure chamomile is there um, for children. Chamomile is such an easy herb because it's just doesn't have many side effects. It's very well tolerated. It's gentle, but really effective. So for kids, it's brilliant. And also elders. Anything that's good for kids is also generally good for elders because it's well tolerated. But um, the thing about chamomile is it's calming. So if you've got an angsty baby or child, for whatever reason, whether it's a physical thing, an emotional thing, chamomile is a go-to herb. And it also works on the gut and the skin. And often when it's the gut, it's the skin as well. So that's just double whammy and gently on the liver. So it's really nice, nourishing all rounder. Um, should I look at my book and see what I use? <laughs> I don't actually remember. When I, when I was thinking about um, youth, you know, I was thinking um, how we step into our, you know, it's, you're really stepping into your own when you become a teenager, but there's so much now that wasn't even around when I was a teenager, you know, like the internet, that, 
I think I think I first joined the internet when I was 18 like so literally all my life till then I didn't know anything about it but now it's very different so everything's a bit faster everything's a bit more you know immediate on hand can you you can learn everything really quickly um so some of the ones I was choosing was just to think about them stepping into that choleric doing becoming independent but also um being really aware but they are still young people they're young let me have a look i've got it here so skullcap passion flower cleavers i chose that and violets let's talk about skullcap then um skullcap is really easy to grow so if you want to have a calming nervine but something that's also quite um it focuses as well skullcap's a really good one to choose um, it releases a lot of tension from the head. So if you're sitting for exams or if you're working out why that girl or boy or someone who doesn't ascribe to a gender doesn't like you, you know, you might be really in your head a lot and really cerebral. Skullcap's a great herb just to calm down, bring the energy away from the head and into the body. Um, you know, and, and teenagehood is exciting and this won't, isn't it, there's no sedative in it, it's nothing like that, it's just a calming and focusing. It's also really useful before an exam or something that's quite challenging. Um, so that's why I included Skullcup, I love it. On that same page is Passionflower, which is just so, such a beautiful herb and really calming, you know, but energising and nourishing as well. So those kinds of things for our teens are really important because they're on this path now that no one's walked before. So I think um, supporting and nourishing is really, really important. Can you can you grow passiflora in, in this country? Well, maybe in a greenhouse or something? Yeah, you can, in a greenhouse. I mean, I've seen it growing outside in some walled gardens, but um, passiflora incarnata, that particular one, does grow well in a greenhouse. The um, flowers are just amazing. So they're just... <laughs> yeah. yeah. And also, it has something climbing around. It's quite impressive. Yeah. Like, um, then there's a... A chapter on transitions. This was probably the hardest one because there's not that much information, um, but it could be any transition um, that you're going through. But we also wanted to talk about people who have transitioned from a gender to another one or have come away from gender or are changing their bodies or, you know, just don't ascribe to the traditional. Um, and there's that, there's so much more work to be done there anyway. Um, but it was like a little start into that. And um, red clover, licorice, and what's the other one I choose? Fennel are three herbs that are, I mean, can be used by anyone, but um, fennel is super uplifting. So often when you're going through a transi transition, it's a challenge, you know, whether it's societal judgment or worries or family pressure or just you're just not who you want to be or you don't feel like you're fitting the mold or whatever it is. Fennel, although it's like, you know, it's an aperitif and it's like got loads of essential oils to make us um, digest and rest better, it's actually super uplifting and it can be nibbled. And I love that, a herb that can be nibbled. So you can, if you grow it, again, a really easy herb to grow, you can just pick those seeds and nibble them. But it's also got its um, hormonal balancing qualities, you know, on the endocrine system, as has licorice and red clover. So those kind of balancing herbs to bring our endocrine system into balance, I sort of thought about there. And then women, you know, it can be um, anyone who's got um, any of these symptoms or um, um, a womb or had a womb, you know, they might, you might have had a hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, once I learned, someone told me that, like, you're not really a woman if you don't have a womb. And I was just like, how ridiculous is this? You know, so lots of work to be done there too. Yeah. But, 
plant allies basically were again kind of hormone balancing but also nourishing the sort of reproductive area like i love ladies mantle and um it's other you know it's, it's called alchemilla because it's an alchemist's herb um and just seeing it with that gutation pushing that water through those leaves and you know everything else is dry and you've got your alchemilla out there with its beautiful water I thought for that one, it's such a nice, it's a womb tonic, but it's also an, an alchemist herb. So for the full, full body experience of herbal medicine, alchemy is, you know, one of those um, systems that we kind of, again, lost, but is always around. So alchemilla is just like a magic plant for all, but I've included it for women because I just use it a lot for women, um, you know, regulating cycles, regulating hormones nourishing the womb area or even the blood and everything else the liver as well just gently um supporting and nourishing um, a woman you know and other people too and then men i'm sure i used um damiana because i absolutely adore damiana um damiana is a herb that i don't grow so again it's one that i think about where am i getting it from what's going on how what are the um the stocks of damiana like is it wild crafted are they ripping it up um, is it sustainably sourced? So that's why I'm always checking and getting the best that I can get. But it's one that I'm still thinking, what, what can I use from these lands, which is similar? And usually it's a mixture of things. So I really see Damiana as something that it does increase libido and it supports, it supports everybody. But let's get, say at the moment we're talking about men, supporting a man through emotional difficulty, through um, fatigue, through... Um, uh, difficulty just being within one's body um, and you know things like erectile dysfunction which is hardly ever talked about you know these things which are just like kept just quiet because it's a bit you know like tampons you know let's say these words we use them you know or pads or blood you know they, these are things that everybody uses and uh, and has um, but Damiana I just love it because it's really uplifting it's so aromatic it's absolutely beautiful and in a tea, you know, you can mix it with something like rose and have a really nourishing tea, but also have quite an aromatic, exotic kind of experience. So that's yeah, one of the ones I love. And men to tap into that as well, that aromatic side. Mm-hmm. Not just taking a tonic and moving on. They're like, you know, it's coming through the body. It's um, becoming part of them. Is that a herb that grows in hot places, Damiana? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm not, I think we could grow it here. Okay. And then elders, I was thinking about what, you know, what really, when we're getting older, our bodies have gone through so much, what would really support? And of course, hawthorn, nettle, those kinds of really nourishing herbs that would help anybody, but particularly elders. So, you know, things like hawthorn supporting the heart, nettle supporting the joints, supporting the blood, those kinds of herbs. Cayenne, heat. So when we're elders, we move into the colder phlegmatic years. And we need heat to keep us going, you know, avoid stagnancy, you know, things like cellulitis or um, um, water retention. Let's just cut that, keep going, move. Um, and, we, and you can grow cayenne in your, in your windowsill, as mm-hmm. I did this year. <laughs> Finally went red. <laughs> you know, nettle, pokey, and then um, things like medicinal mushrooms, because they are so, they're like our deep immune tonics, you know, so... When we're elders, it's not like when you're 25 and you, you've got a snivel. It's, you know, you might need a real hit of good um, medicine. Medicinal mushrooms are there and they can be grown sustainably. Um, and I just thought to include them for elders, although they are, you know, for everybody too. Yeah. And then once I go on to the grief, 
I just included grief because often at the end of life, obviously there's grief, but all through life there's grief and grievances. So herbs like rose, vervain, early campaign, I use them a lot. I mean, anxiety and grief is one of the biggest things I sort of work with when I'm working with people. So I wanted to include those two. Thanks. So I wondered if we could just finish with talking about um, the kind of how we, how because you've got quite a big chapter on ethical uh, wildcrafting. Mm, and, yeah. you know, we, I think, because obviously there's a big, there's a big, mm, push on that or resurgence or something of like foraging here like I run like uh, organize the wild food festival here in yeah. Scotland and um <laughs> but like when you hear a lot of the American herbalists talking they're very much about the kind of the ethical problems that they've had with people like taking all the plants and stuff so yeah maybe yeah. you could just talk about that well, I think in any practice, you have to consider your ethics. And in herbal medicine, I think it's easy not to because it feels so natural to pick stuff. You know, it's like, God, I'm just picking stuff. This is what I did when I was a child, you know. Um, the problem is we get these fads where people go, oh, ghost pipe in America. That's what we need. Lion's mane right now in the UK. Everyone wants lion's mane. Um What was it? Um, wild garlic in the spring. Suddenly all the restaurants wanted foraged wild garlic. And, you know, I, I saw, literally, I saw um, banks of woods bare of wild garlic. And, you know, if you're uprooting them, they're not coming back. It's one thing cutting them. It's another thing just ripping them up. So I think, you know, I heard that term first through Howie Brownstein in America. He said ethical wildcrafting. And I was like, that makes total sense. I like those words. So I will use those words. But basically, it just means, you know, sensible foraging. If everyone was to forage, we would have a problem, you know. So how do we make it ethical? I think there is no, like, proper answer. One thing to consider is taking what you need and do you really need it? And if, if everyone took what they need, then what? So still not quite there. But if you are going to go and forage, take what can't be noticed. So if I've gone to a hawthorn tree and there are 30 other hawthorn trees and I've taken a couple of branches worth of berries... I'm kind of okay with that because not everyone at the moment is taking that. But, you know, in the future, or, or if ever, anything was to ever change where we'd need to all do it, then, you know, we've got to start growing. So I think go, going from ethical foraging to growing is a, a big thing too. So we're getting rid of lawns and having edible, medicinal and wild spaces just growing. But then we have to be careful. We're not just, you know, replanting trees absolutely everywhere and losing our are areas which aren't tree based you know like I was listening to a thing on puffins today and how they need areas which aren't we don't have trees um so it's really interesting how we get that balance and I think that's that's a that's a huge subject I mean I think wild food is amazing I think it's really good to learn about it and also then to grow it cultivate it you know and go that way as well as really being careful with what you're picking how you're picking it if you're picking dandelions you know brilliant if you're picking nettles brilliant at Hawthorne if you're picking things that are less common, like eyebright, you know, then you have to really consider what you're doing. So, um, and it's interesting because there are so many Instagrammable pictures of what you can pick and what you can make. And it's very inspiring. But yeah, we just, I think it's a big community wide thing. You need to think about really how we can make use of land. You know, in America, they have people um, growing stuff on the curbside instead of that grass that we have a lot. 
why not grow there? You know, why not make use of all these tiny spaces? Well, I think some of the spaces we do have are, you know, just left and we can't utilize yeah. them. And then sometimes we're like, there's a, there's a field here which has been sold off and people want to grow on it. But other people are like, no, this is a field that we should be able to just walk through and, you know, run our dogs through. And so there is a balance to be had, but certainly the more concrete there is, the less, you know, planting there is. And the more lawns there are, the less plants there are. So, And another thing is the access to land we have. You know, we have so little access to the land in this country because it's owned by bigger states, you know. And that's, um, you know, it's a whole other inequality thing. You know, some people live in a tiny flat up a tower block and some people own swathes and swathes of land and won't let you on it. So the inequality is just, is just rife and, and finding our way through that is, is not going to be easy. Yeah, so I think maybe we could just finish up um, just talking about like um, how people can connect with you and where yeah. they can find you and what do you do. And um, I think, have you got an, is there a new project that you have or something called Landishy.earth Land yeah. Yeah, Land or com will be my two things. And I'm on Facebook still, just about hanging on in there. Um, I'd love to hear from anyone, you know, especially anyone who wants to come study or talk or come to my community medicine gardens and do stuff. Um, and also I see patients on Zoom, you know, I see patients all over the place. So that's one thing COVID kind of brought to light was, the, um, was that it's normal to see people on Zoom rather than it's happening. So yeah, that was one thing. So do you, do you teach at your garden? Yeah, I teach. Um, that's kind of being put to bed for the winter now because everything's dying back. But there's also vegetables growing there too, and that carries on all year. And then we'll open up again in the spring, and hopefully next year we'll have a couple more sites as well. Um, and I also teach snail mail courses and like apprenticeship. Oh, thank you. It's really nice to talk to you. <laughs> oh, it's lovely to talk to you and your baby. <laughs>